Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And we do take it away. It is Saturday morning, the 14th of October. Craig Heist and I have survived yet another Friday the 13th. And they get scarier and scarier, don't they, Craig? Yeah, they really do. You need a new costume other than the one you're wearing right now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. How you feeling today, big I'm guy? good. 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 We got a lot of baseball to talk about, and we got some terrific guests um, but you know me, I'm trying to share this. Uh-huh. So could you talk and do the intro of who the guests are going to be? And well, give me that the good stuff. Give me the list, because I mean you're the one. You're the one that sets all this up. <laughs> well, part of it anyway. Uh, a good show coming up today. We got Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. I beg to differ. Group. I think this is going to be a great show. All right. Can't beat the best show, Craig. That's true, Bonson. We all know when that was. <laughs> Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. Uh, she'll be with us at around 10.20 uh, this afternoon or this morning. And that will... Uh, this afternoon? Well, look, I want to get out of here. <laughs> I'm well, that's wishful thinking. I'm, I'm trying to speed up the process. Chelsea Janes, Washington Post, and she'll recap uh, what we saw a couple of nights ago at Nats Park as uh, the Nationals eliminated in five games once again in the Divisional Series, uh, this time by the Chicago Cubs in a 9-8 defeat. And we'll talk to her about that game, a little bit about the Nats season, and also what she thinks is going to happen with Dusty Baker. Josh Hiroka comes by at 1045, and uh, he'll be along uh, to talk. What are we talking to him about today? Sure, we're talking to him about uh, where the Orioles, you know, w- how he, sh- he and the Section 336 gang, what they think the Orioles should do. Clearly, they got to do something with pitching, but we'll talk to Josh Soroka about uh, how he feels about Dallas Keuchel. All right. Well, then we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I know I know one thing. With the way Dallas Keuchel was breaking off curveballs last night. He was night, sensational and, last and, night. And the cutter, uh, I'm sure Greg Olson would appreciate what he saw out of Dallas Keuchel And last why night. are you mentioning Greg Olson? Because Greg Olson had one of the nastiest curveballs ever. But what's he got to do with this show? Well, he'll be on it at 11.05. Oh, really? Yes, absolutely. And then Ken Levine, former play-by-play guy for the uh, Orioles for a time, and also author of a couple of different TV shows. He wrote for uh, MASH, Mash and Cheers, yeah. and he's also got a really interesting podcast called Hollywood. It's a takeoff. The title is a takeoff on Hollywood and Vine. Mm-hmm. It's called Hollywood and Levine. It's available on ah. iTunes, and there must be 50 of them in there. So he gets a lot of big-time celebrities out in L.A. while I get Craig Heist. And well, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're becoming a celebrity. So <laughs> Craig Heist's career is about as high as it's going to get, you know. Well, that's because of this show. <laughs> All right. I've helped that career yes, along. Yes, you have. <laughs> yes, you have. I've <laughs> cemented it into what it is. <laughs> yeah. You've cemented a modest a, career. A, yes. a hard drying cement. Yes, that's a what very fast drying cement. So, so that's uh, where we are for the show. Yeah. And I've got us. Um, I've got us shared now. So now I can talk. Okay. Good enough. All right. Uh, I made my 
ALCS prediction, and I made my NLCS prediction. They're both up at FacebookOnline.com. I've mailed them out to my mailing list. I put them on Facebook and Twitter. And I predicted that the Yankees were going to win this uh, ALCS in six games. And um, luckily, Craig Heist, I put a caveat. Hang hang on a second. Let me see if I can get the eye roll in the camera. (laughs) Luckily, let me get my eye roll. Uh, Luckily, my last sentence was, after predicting the Yankees in six, I said, that is unless Dallas Keuchel resembles the Dallas Keuchel of 2015 even remotely, then all bets are off. And And I would say this series is right now a very even series, even with the Astros up one to nothing. Well, it won't be an even series after Justin Verlander pitches tonight. Okay. Okay. All right. Who's pitching for the Yankees? Luis Severino is going in game two. How do you see the – let's just pretend for a second, because I know you think the Astros are going to probably win in five – Five games now, don't you? Five or six. Okay. Let's just say it goes to full seven. How do you see the Yankees' rotation being set up the rest of the way? Well, I would. Severino in game two. Mm -hmm. Monday is in New York. Do you see Gray or Sabathia? Uh, well, I think it's Sabathia in uh, in Game 3 and okay. then Sonny Gray in Game 4. I think that's already been announced. And yep. what would you do if you were Joe Girardi? What would you do Games 5, 6, and 7? If he sees the catcher really have a demonstrative uh, reaction to uh, – uh, what appears to be a hit batter or a foul ball, I would challenge him. <laughs> <laughs> I asked what he was doing <laughs> with starting pitching. <laughs> I wonder where he was going with you know, this. It's he's, fu- he's 10 steps ahead of me at all times. It's funny because yesterday, if you heard his press conference, when Bird got thrown out at home, they asked Girardi, why would you review it? And he's like, well, I probably thought it was an out, but I'm not <laughs> taking any chances this time. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's the greatest response to that question. Remember Don Rickles? Yeah. Yeah. When did he become a part of the show? That's right. <laughs> oh, here we go again with that, huh? <laughs> no, I like when you're part of the show. Now, very knowledgeable baseball guy. So games, let's just say it's not at a two apiece after game four. What do you do games five, six, and seven? If you're Joe Girardi, well, if you're Joe Girardi, you gotta, you know, come to the dance with the guys to bring you, and uh, you know, I think that if if you're gonna go in that direction, you, you would probably want, I think, Tanaka outside of Severino. I think Tanaka gives them the best chance to win. See, I've got a very different take, and I put it in my piece yesterday. I would start Jordan Montgomery in Game Five, and then I would flip flop. Tanaka and Severino with the rest, I would have Severino in game six. In game six, and then I would have Tanaka because I'm pretty damn happy if I'm Joe Girardi at how well Tanaka pitched last night. Right, because a lot of times you don't know what you're going to exactly. get out of him. And I would think that you would get you'd get a more predictable performance out of Gray or Sabathia out of the bullpen. In one of those two well, games. I'm not sold on Sonny Gray by any stretch. I'm of not the sold on him, but I mean he will get he will get one start in this series. That's like I'm I'm not I'm not sold on you uh, Darvish for the Dodgers right. in, in in this in this series coming up with the Cubs. Okay, but uh, you know the, the the other part of that series though is Joe Madden trying to get to Wade Davis on the back end of his bullpen. I mean the Nationals, even though they lose that series, 
beat up on the bullpen. Carl Edwards Jr. Well, it's uh, not a very good bullpen. No. Remember, this is the bullpen that last year he did everything he could to avoid using the bullpen last right. year if your name wasn't Aroldis Chapman right, last exactly. year. I think Joe has done uh, – it's in tandem with Theo. And don't get me wrong, Theo Epstein is a Hall of Fame executive. But I don't think the back end of that bullpen has had Joe – I think they thought Koji is Koji even active? No, I didn't, I, don't, I, don't I don't think, think he was active, active for that last series. Okay, no. I don't know if he's active yeah. for this series, but I think they thought that Koji would fit in nicely with Wade Davis and give him a, a potent one-two punch late in games. That has never really happened, and I don't think Joe Madden has a great deal of confidence in Grimm. I, I thought his managing again. Now he's pulled it out, the rabbit out of his ass both times in the last game last year and the last game this year, the last game of the season last year, and the last game of the Nats series, I thought his managing, you know, getting Wade Davis to get seven outs was off the charts bad. And, uh, and, well, I, yeah. thought it was, and I thought it was predicated on how quickly he took out other guys. Because if, if – if, look, and this is just my opinion. If Jose Lobaton doesn't get picked off first base, the Nats win that game. Yep. Because he had walked the first two guys – you know the other the, was, the other biggest not a good no but the other the big Lynn thing double play. The, the Lynn double play swinging at the first pitch after uh, he he's walked the first two guys I don't know where his head was at at that particular right. instance but I, I wonder what uh, the learners were thinking Alfred Lerner and Mark Lerner what they were thinking of Scott Boros springing Ted them. Lerner Ted Lerner excuse me and Mark Alfred Lerner where did that come from I don't know Thanks. I don't know I thought it was Alfred's Ted Lerner might you're been, right might have been the same place that Danny Echeverria <laughs> came from uh, but the learners I wonder how happy they are with Scott Boros right now for bringing them Matt Weeders at eleven million dollars a year. Now, I'll give Matt Weeders credit for one thing. He did stand up there after the game and say it was a bad time for the worst defensive game I've ever had. Right. Uh, that was just absolutely awful. It was awful, but uh, he but, stood but, up there. But, in but Matt Weeders has done a hell of a lot more good things for that club than he mm-hmm. did bad things for that club. Mm-hmm. And, in, and that includes handling that pitching staff. You ask any of those pitchers what they think of Matt Weeders. And did you like uh, allowing Matt Weeders to bat there with uh, that situation? I didn't situation? have much of a problem with it because it's either, it's either going to be right-handed or left-handed, you know. Well, but, but I mean, say, once they've brought in the left-hander, don't you like Howie Kendrick there? I mean, oh, yeah, losing, yeah, losing yeah. that game can, and having can, Howie Kendrick not get in at bat in that game, yeah. well, I mean, I'm not a big that, fan of that. You can say that, that about the whole thing yeah. with how long Jason Worth played in that series. Right. I mean, Jason did have a couple of hits, but... In the last game. Right, in right. the last game, and, and well, so did Matt did Weeders. Yeah, Weeders was two Did you hear what Gary Sheffield said about uh, Worth what? before game four? He said, this guy is wa- basically on the pre-game, TBS pregame. Mm-hmm. He goes, he's washed up. He shouldn't be playing over Howie Kendrick. No, he's he, done, you're right. He's done nothing for the last couple months. Right. He he, he didn't. And, uh, you know, when you look at the last couple of years against right-handed batting, uh, pitching. right-handed pitching, uh, the average is like, you know, 210, 211, something like that. Right. And you can't have that. And uh, you know, but overall, he was a he was a good signing for oh, where no they question. were at that for, time. For what they were at that yeah. time, and he helped change the culture in yep. there. He became the clubhouse guy, the leader of of that group in uh, terms of you know you originally know originally a Pat Gillick draft pick. 
Right, absolutely. Traded by the Orioles. By t- uh, what's his name? Uh, oh God, uh, what Ken Wyman used to call him. Uh, now I can't even think of the older guy. Oh, Sid Thrift. Sid Thrift. Yeah. yeah. What did he used to call him, Ken Wyman? Oh, Foghorn Leghorn. Fog. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I got that Confederate yeah. money. Uh, I went. I went out to. I went out to uh, San Francisco to cover the Orioles in an interleague series against right. the Giants. Right. And this is. Did you uh, go to any topless clubs uh, in San Francisco? Uh, well, you'll have to ask Wyman about that. <laughs> and you know, uh, we're sitting in a dugout and we're looking at around the place. And I mean, obviously, the place is beautiful. Right. It's got the the bay in the backdrop and everything else in the bridge, you know, the Bay Bridge and everything. Now it's got the smoke. And yeah, oh god, not to make and, light of that. And it's I got terrible a, in San Francisco. Yeah, right and now. we were watching we were watching the Cal game last night, uh, and and you could half the stadium was empty last night for right. that Cal Washington State game, and you could see people still people are wearing masks, wearing masks and, and everything, yeah. right? But anyway, uh, Sid says, uh, I, I looked around and I said, because we've got Camden Yards and this place is pretty spectacular. Right. And, and I said to Sid, I said, what do you think, Sid? This is a pretty nice place. And he goes, hi, Steve. He says, nothing beats waterfront property. <laughs> That's a good line. That's a good so, line. Who uh, said that, Sid or Sid, Ken Wyman? Sid. <laughs> but Ken Wyman does do a really he good did, Sid thrift. He did thrift, do a good yes. Sid thrift. Anyway, Sid thrift couldn't wait to trade him. Yeah. and uh, Got left-hander John And he was ba- a catcher at that time. Got left-hander John Bale from Toronto and spun John Bale for Gary Matthews Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who gave the Orioles a great half season and then went to the uh, Angels on a big free agent contract. Yeah. Remember that? Yes, I did. Got about $50 million, I yeah. think. So he cashed in. Yep. But uh, You and I are about the only ones that haven't, haven't cashed, cashed in. in. Right, yes. exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just look at that as, uh, going back to your original point about the Yankees, I could see them going with Severino in Game 6 and then Tanaka in Game 7. But I just still, don't think it, I don't it, think it, it, I don't it, it, think it, it, they'll go with I I think they'll end up fitting in uh, I, I don't Montgomery think, I, I, I no I don't think they will I'm uh, that was my suggestion Montgomery pitched brilliantly down the stretch which incidentally uh, I didn't do my my total homework while Dallas Keuchel's numbers from coming back from his second knee his second neck injury this year were not great initially. His last 18-plus innings, he only gave up three earned runs this year. Oh, so you're saying he was pretty good then? I'm saying he was pretty oh, good, okay. but, but he was not, for, for, the, for the second half of the season, he was not, nor in 2016 was he like the Dallas Keuchel of 2015. Well, of course not, because he got hurt. Yeah. Well, that's my point, though, is that he hadn't been as sharp. Well, Looked I know. pretty sharp yesterday. Yeah, he was very yeah. sharp last night. Yeah. So Why don't I just let you guys do the show, and you can both agree with each other, and there'll, <laughs> be, mean, no, there'll be no friction. Yeah, it's a great show. Well, all Last, right, then same, the week I was away was then, a great show. Then right? once again, let's same, hear that again. Once again, sane minds prevail. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just think that I, I think they've been the best team in the American League, despite what everybody wants to say about Cleveland. They won twenty-two in a row and twenty-seven to twenty-nine. Right, but what did they get them? And, and they couldn't win one game out of three after being up 2 nothing. Give me a break. And if anybody's going to sit here and tell me the Yankees are better than Cleveland, 
despite Cleveland not being in right. it, they were, not. they were I'm better sorry. over a five-game series. They, they were, that's right, all exactly. I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the game, yeah, folks. That is the game. Okay. That yeah. is the game. So you've got the Yankees out in five or six games. Five or six games, yeah. I now this, think they'll this, win it in seven Well, games. if this thing goes back to Houston, then the Yankees aren't going to are, – aren't, don't, don't have a shot at winning it in my mind. Because that, that place is pretty raucous. They play very well there. So, wait a minute. You're saying that their only chance to have won it was to sweep them? No. What do you mean if it goes back to Houston? It's going to go back to Houston now unless Houston sweeps them. Well, no, because the next, it's a four out of seven. I understand that. Right. The so next two after today, the next two are in New York. So, well, when you say three are in New York. It's oh, a 2-3-2 two, three, right. two format. It is a 2-3-2. Two, two. Okay. 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 I get confused. Bonzo, you and I, right now, let's just get this I get done. confused sometimes. Yeah, I sometimes. <laughs> I do want to ask you guys, which bullpen do you trust more, the Astros bullpen or the Yankees bullpen? Well, the Yankees on paper are certainly the better. Uh, I mean, they're pitching right now as well as anybody. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the Astros bullpen is pretty solid, and they've got, you know, Giles at the back end. So, But I, would Giles pitch tonight after yesterday? I don't think Giles is going to get in the game tonight. I, I no, really because don't. they'll have a big enough lead they won't have to worry about it. <laughs> that's that's the way he feels. Yeah, exactly. But listen, Joe Musgrove, who is kind of the Kevin Gaussman of their starting rotation, became a great relief pitcher in the second half yeah. of the year. I'm not suggesting he'll get the save opportunity, but I think he would be a bridge from the fifth or sixth inning on for Verlander to the about the seventh or eighth inning. And, he, and then Devansky can come back in again. They've also got Luke Gregerson, who did not have a good year. and uh, Davinsky. Uh, Davinsky. Yeah. He got and a they also have today. Harris. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, you, you were close, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Davinsky. What did I say? Devansky? Devansky. Devansky. You, get, you put Devansky. an A in his name for whatever reason. Anyway. I thought it was in there. I spelled it that way last <laughs> night, too. Um, they've also got Will Harris. Yeah. Uh, and they've got, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you pointed out that Davinsky was in last night so briefly. That, again, was exactly like Joe Madden last night. I thought, I think in a, in two, if you're facing two seven-game series coming up, to, to pull Davinsky after, after one batter after that last night, I think you're starting to get awfully jumpy and panicky for a, ma- for a manager to, to pull, pull that guy. Well, there. it's a 2 nothing game at that point, and uh, you know what the people coming in after Davinsky right. uh, are all about. So, uh, you know, he knows his personnel better than we do. Yeah, I, I just think again. In Giles' case last night, I mean, I thought the stuff was pretty nasty. He got a couple of strikeouts. Oh, he was yeah. brilliant last yeah, night. Yeah, uh, but, last but night. the other part of it is, though, he did have a rising fastball that Bird was able Boy, to get Bird. a hold of and oh my gosh, hit a, hit a mile high and off the foul pole. So they picked apart uh, FOWL, by the way, down in uh, Houston where they have the foul pole. Uh, I got foul. you. FOWL for Chick fil A. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, they were picking on WTBS last night, or no, it was uh, Fox 1 last night. They were picking apart the base running of Greg Bird in terms of his lead. More so than the lead, and I would not say at all that Greg. I would not say at all that Greg Bird wasn't hustling. Mm-hmm. Did he look like he rounding third? That he was all out to you effort wise, though. Uh, I can't recall really. Boy, he really looked like he was out for a Sunday, a, a, a quick paced jog 
but he didn't look like he was trying to cut every split second and Marwin Gonzalez threw him out at home plate. Yeah, well, Mar- Gonzalez has done that uh, a few times this year yeah. from left field, and he's he's the perfect person to be playing left field in that ballpark yeah. because it's very reminiscent of Fenway Park in a lot of right. ways. You know, uh, a lot of times you don't score on singles from second base. you got to be very careful if you're the third base coach and get a read because the, the play is really in front of you if you're the third base coach. So uh, last night. Didn't happen. Let's uh, let you introduce our guest, our first guest on the show. All right. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post uh, joins us on the show now. And uh, Chelsea, good morning. And uh, shouldn't you feel like you should be in L.A. at this point? <laughs> yeah, I actually just saw a picture a few minutes ago, and I was like, I got a weird feeling of like, wow, that's, that's happening, and we're not there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still kind of crazy that they're not there. You and I looked at each other as we were leaving the ballpark, and you left a couple of minutes before I did, uh, after I did the post-game show up in the studio on the fifth floor. But you you, you and I looked at each other, and we just kind of shook our heads. <laughs> like yeah. we, could, we couldn't believe what we just saw. So many twists and turns to that game. You know, and the irony of it all to me is the fact that that five-run or that four-run inning in the fifth comes against, uh, comes against Max Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy who, after the game, you know, spoke to everyone and just stood there and looked at me, and I just looked at him, and he just, like, was about to start saying sentences and then couldn't form them and would just shake his head. And it was like, I just thought that summed it up perfectly, you know, that a guy who always has an answer for absolutely everything was just, like, stunned and confused and, you know, felt like he did everything normally, and it just went so badly, and I feel like that's, it kind of what everyone was thinking after that game. Uh, Chelsea, uh, and we really appreciate your being part of the show today and uh, throughout the season. Uh, you do an excellent, excellent job with the Washington Post covering the, the Washington Nationals. Um, the, the interpretation of that, that play call, the, you know, where, where the backswing hits weeders on the head, uh, have we determined yet what the real rule is? And, and it really seems like the Nats got shafted on a misinterpretation of that rule. Yeah, you know, I, I think, I don't think they, you know, anyone came up with an answer that made anyone happy on that. I think that one of the problems was, you know, certainly the rule suggests that it's, you know, a dead ball and that, um, you know, the runner shouldn't have advanced and that inning shouldn't have progressed that way. But I think that one of the problems with that and what sort of came out from the umpires but fairly was that nobody had seen that before. I mean, it, it's not like you could kind of look back for an interpretation, you know. I mean, no one knows what the slide rule is, but we all sort of know what is called and what isn't. Did, so, really, that so, was such an absurd play that it was like, it, well, what do you do with this? Well, let's break it down, though. Am I correct that the, did the umpires not even see weeders get hit in the head? There, there seemed to be, in, in listening to post-game talk, and uh, I'm talking on the, on Masson, it sounded like that that was not challengeable to say, hey, look at the video replay, and that will show you that he got hit in the head. Right, and I think, again, I think that was part of it, too, that they, I don't know if all four of them didn't see it, but you can't review that. And we went through the list of, you know, all the rules, too, and and. Yeah. Uh, challengeable plays and 
we're scrolling through that list and it's not on there, obviously. But I, you know, I wonder if that would be on there, you know, had a few more things like this happened because it makes sense that you would want to look for that. But it's just such a strange situation. And, and like, it, it just summed up the whole night. It was like, yeah. how did that play come up in this game in that situation? It, it was uh, certainly bizarre. It was the, one of the more bizarre t- one-third of an innings you'll ever see as one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball kind of falls apart. His catcher, noted as a very good both handler of pitchers and a very good receiver, has admittedly uh, the worst night he's ever had in just that couple uh, batters there in Matt Wieters. It was a very, very bizarre uh, end of that inning. Yeah, absolutely, and, and Weeders was a guy, obviously, you guys know really well, but uh, you just felt awful for after the game. He was just kind of sitting there and staring, and it was like, you know, how, again, how did that happen now, I think, was the question they were all asked. So the big question I have for you, the, the Red Sox get eliminated the other day, and it wasn't a shock to me, but they fired their manager, John Farrell. The Nats were eliminated on Thursday night, their manager is technically a free agent. Do you think that this gets done expeditiously, or do you think the learners, and I know Mike Rizzo would want Dusty Baker back, but do you think they sort of sit on it a little while? And is Dusty technically a free agent if one of the other teams were interested in him, say the Boston Red Sox, could they come after him immediately, or, or is he under contract technically to the end of the month? Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that the, the way that works is that you're, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's after the World Series. Yeah. I don't think that the, I mean, I don't, this is not a knock on Dusty at all. I don't think the threat of another team coming in is a concern at all. Um, I think, you know, that's not something kind of on their radar right now. And, I, you know, his name really doesn't pop up because a lot of these are, you know, kind of new school, you know, analytics kind of people thinking, you know, for young guys like Alex Cora and, and all those names you always hear. So I don't think they're worried about Dusty jumping ship. Um, I, you know, I don't know what's changed over the last week. I mean, it felt like a month. It felt like there was all this drama. Dusty was in the center of the whole, you know, announcing the starting pitcher thing. But I think that, you know, before the series, it was very clear that both sides wanted it to be done. I don't think Dusty did anything absurd in game or anything like that that would change that. But I would expect that maybe both sides need a little bit of a cool down. Like well, I think, and I, you know, and I think that I still expect that to be done. Um, but you know, I think that it, it's probably not something where they're going to come right back together, you know, today and, and figure it out. I think there's probably a little bit of a deep breath that needs to be taken all around, and not because there's any animosity, but just because that ending was just. It was, it was wrenching. Let me just throw one thing out to you. I, maybe I'm the only guy in America that sees this. but you and have that's, a, you, that's not, that's not the first time. Right. That's not the first time. You have a team in the Boston Red Sox that's in a very odd situation with their managerial situation. There's a lot of people think that Jason Varitek would be the p- proper fit. He's never managed a game at any level before. Uh, Joey Cora hasn't managed a game. Brad Ausmus, who Dave Dombrowski has hired before, his resume really doesn't yell out out to you in Boston that, hey, that's the guy for us. I'm just wondering if a tandem of Baker managing and, say, Veritech or somebody else coming in as the bench coach to learn under Dusty, that there is another team there that might say, 
Because, you know, there's been, it's been hypothesized that Dombrowski would reach out to Jim Leland and, and or Tony LaRusso. But both of them haven't managed in quite a while, and they're a little bit older than Dusty. I just think the Red Sox are an interesting fit uh, in Boston. I mean, I've definitely been extremely and totally wrong before, but I just don't see it. I, you know, I think that there was a reason that Dusty was sort of out of the game for a while there. I think, for whatever reason, fairly or not, it's, there's just this perception that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see it there. Um, but maybe. Um, I, but I really think that, you know, also, you got to think about Dusty. Like, if he's... These guys gave him his chance. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't look at... And he's a pretty loyal guy, so if the Nats are able to give him the kind of money that he probably has earned with well, his 95 win season, I, I don't see jumping ship being a problem at all. And, and frankly, I think it would be a really, I think the Red Sox would have trouble making that. I don't know. I guess I, I never really even. You never even considered it. it. Yeah, I understand. No, well, and, I, and I don't think a lot. I don't, I'd be surprised if the Nats were at all worried about that. that. That said that you haven't considered it, I haven't considered it. Let's get back to the sanity part of the show now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're, let pick, me, they're picking on me all show, Chelsea. We, we really are, Chelsea. It's, it's a lot <laughs> Sorry of to hear that. it's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I, I got to ask you though, what did you make though of, of Bob Nightingale's report right before the series started that Dusty and the Nationals had agreed in principle on a two-year extension, a two-year deal? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take this. See, one I didn't st- even know about that. Yeah, before. I'll take this one step further, and that's that my, my, you know, my good friend Phil Wood, who I do some post-game stuff with, he was down on the field, and we're standing very close to one another. But Mark Lerner is there, and uh, Dusty comes off the field, and uh, Phil just, you know, stuck out his hand to shake Dusty's hand and said, congratulations. And Dusty said, thank you. And, uh you know, you know, Miss Tenenbaum was there as as well as Mark, and you know, neither one of them said anything, you know, uh, about it. So that led me to believe that, yeah, there probably is a deal in place. Um, no, I haven't heard that. Um, it wouldn't shock me if there is sort of the if the talks have, you know, if they had some talks maybe right before the the playoffs in that gap week. Um, I will say that. A lot of people say congratulations to Dusty on the field every day for things. This is a thing that happens, and I'm, I'm not discrediting that because it is kind of a weird thing to happen. But I think people say congratulations to Dusty for things, and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he just shakes their hand and moves on. Mm-hmm. So he might not have had any idea what was going on there. Um, but I, I do think that they, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm very confident that this happened. And I, you know, I think both sides going into that postseason were confident that it happened. And, uh, you know, I, no, nothing's happened to change that. So it well, wouldn't surprise me at all if I, they've talked this through. I see no reason to think that it's not going to happen. And the only reason in my mind that it wouldn't happen is, again, money. Because I don't think well, that's that's Dusty's part of my scenario. Uh, you know, my vague scenario is has to do with the fact. Chelsea, what do you think Dusty in the real world would command if he were 55 years old and not 70 or 71 years old. Well, he's what do you two think? years away from 70. Okay, so yeah. he's 68. How, what do you think he would earn from any other team? If it was the Yankees, the Red Sox, wouldn't he be a $4 million manager? I think so. Yeah. I think he thinks so. Um, and I think he thinks think that. He... So uh, my only point 
is if there is any hesitancy here at all, I could see one other team being interested in them. And that's all. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, now, let's move ahead to the next series coming up. You saw what the Cubs had to get through to, to get to the next series. You saw last year what the Dodgers had to get through to get to the next series. Is this just sort of a reverse repeat of, la repeat of last year where the team that the Nats take so much out of really isn't ready to compete in the next series? I mean, I don't know. You know I think there's got to be something to that. I mean, they're going to start a really kind of battered Jose Quintana who had to pitch in Game 5 or, you know, against or warm up in Game 5. Now I'm blanking. It was all a blur. Uh, against Kershaw in Game 1 and then just kind of hope that everyone else recovers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of tough to see the, see the Cubs beating those guys when they've had all this time to set up and get healthy. And I think Corey Seager's a little banged up, but other than that, you know. Yeah, he's got a bad back, are, right. Yeah, they're in good shape. So, I, you know, I, I do think there's something to that. I will say I think the Cubs feel like they're kind of playing with house money at this point, and that is obviously has looked like it was a good thing for them the other night. They're very relaxed, um, played, you know, uh, played pressure-free, but I don't know. A couple of things from the series with the Nationals. When you look back to, as Stan said, they, they took a lot out, or Madden took a, a lot of things that he had to get to Wade Davis, uh, you know, and then it turns out to be a seven-out save uh, for him. But in the one inning where... I had a flashback that I had long hair. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Four hours and 37 minutes, yeah. Uh, I got I got to ask you, if, if Lobatone... And this is all obviously hypothetical, but if Lobatone doesn't get picked off first base, I think the Nats win that game. I agree. Um, at that point in the game, you know, we're sitting up there having all our losing stories done and thinking, and then you start to see the rally, and you're like, well, you know what? There it is. Like, Doolittle's warming. Their bullpen's fine. The Cubs' bullpen is just absolutely decimated. You know, somehow the Nats are in a better position than the Cubs pitching-wise right now. If they get that run in and it's tied... If they get two runs and they take a lead, you're thinking it's over. And then for that to happen, it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, how did that just happen? You know, it was, it was a rally at a time when it didn't look like they could be stopped, and then something stopped them. And I, I completely agree. That being said, I don't, you know, it's really hard to sort of fault Jose Lobatone entirely because he was back, he was back by a lot, and then his foot came off the back. So it's like, you know, I don't... It, it's again. It's like, how did that happen now? You know, and I think obviously you don't want to make it close at that point in the game if you're Jose Lopetone. So you can fault him for that, but he was back, and mm -hmm. it's just it was remarkable, really. Yeah, but the other part of that is too is that uh, even even knowing that you, you you if you are Lobatone, you just can't put yourself in that position. Yeah, that's... that that's yeah. No, and you got a guy who likes to throw too, and you know that. But again, it's yeah. I mean, it's true, but. It was just again one of those like unthinkable how did that happen? <laughs> let's look. Let's look at a uh, personnel decision facing the uh, Washington Nationals during this offseason. I'm listening to Chris Russo's. Uh, uh, what's his show called that comes on at oh, uh, High Heat? High Heat. Yesterday, he says there's no way back and no way that uh, that team can have Gio Gonzalez come back after he did that. Um, he's a free agent, isn't he? Do you expect that they will go after him? Uh, with with great fervor, Gio. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's under contract now. So he he's, oh, he's been at 180. Yeah. Okay, so he's... so he's there. Okay. But I I think the really interesting thing is whether they decide that he is someone they want after next year because if he's not, then you want to go after a starter now. You know, the Nats are always sort of a year ahead on their pitching. So I think if they say Gio's probably gone, then they really have to start hunting this offseason and see if they can, you know, find that replacement. I think we've seen Jason Worth play his last game as a national. Uh, would you agree with that? I would. I think I'm a little bit less sure of that than everyone else is because I'm not sure that he gets the job elsewhere that he thinks he's going to get. And if he doesn't, I could see him in the net saying, let's do this, and you're going to be on the bench, and you're not going to make the same amount of money but we'll let you try to rebuild some value. That's the only scenario where I can see it. Um, yeah. But if he gets a DH job, if, if somebody's willing to pay him um, to kind of play every day or something near it, I think, obviously, I think he's gone. But I'm just not as 100% sure about everyone else. Chelsea, our show producer, Bonzatufa, has a question for you. Hey, uh, okay. Chelsea, what do you think about, and I want to ask Craig, too, what do you think about the catcher situation with Matt Wieters? Do you think well, he... he signed... Well, he, you know, he's got an his his option. He's got an option, correct? Right, Chelsea. He's not going anywhere. His on his well, option. Yeah, I mean, I I actually think catchers a really interesting thing they need to figure out this off season because you know as much as, as he's a nice guy, he had an awful year. I mean, yeah. he was awful offensively. He was a black hole, mm-hmm. and I think he really helped the pitching staff. But you know, he's not a ten million dollar player, and he's gonna you know. There's no way Matt Wieters can opt out of a $10 million option after a year like that. Right. Yeah, he'll be here. But I think you have to really assess what you do behind him. And, you know, I think Pedro Severino probably deserves a little bit of a shot. I mean, yeah. you could have argued heading into the playoff series, and I did, that, like, he should have been on that roster. And, you know, he's never going to be a huge offensive producer, but he's a guy who, who elevates his game in the major leagues. He loves the spotlight. He's one of the most energetic human beings you will ever find, which is great for them. And he's an outstanding defender. So everything that you saw the other night, you're thinking, this doesn't happen if it's Sevy. And I think, you know, after seeing that, there's a real chance that they, you know, if Matt Wieters is going to hit 220 anyway, you probably should see a lot more Pedro Severino. And so, you know, I don't see him going anywhere. You know, I don't see them buying him out at $10 million. But it's it's certainly something where you have to evaluate the playing time because he just didn't produce. Yeah, and, and Severino, uh, the one thing about him from a catching did he state, play mostly at Triple A this year? Well, he was up yep. here, yeah, but and mostly he was hurt too. Yeah, okay. and, he, and he was hurt. But when he's healthy, some pretty good wheels, right, Chelsea? Yeah, he's he's speedy too, which helps. Um, I mean, that being said, Matt Weir's got a bun hit in Game Five, but um, yeah, I think. Yeah, he's just a really interesting catcher with a good arm and really, really natural behind the plate, and I think, you know, probably has earned his shot up here. Hey, one last question for you. The most positive thing to happen to the Nationals this year seems to me, as an outside observer a little bit, that Michael A. Taylor now has established himself as somebody that seems to fit with Harper and Eaton in that outfield next year. Yeah, I think Michael Taylor is a, a star in the making, and I yep. think they are always back at And it's yep. just, you know, everyone got to see it on the big stage. What we've really seen all year, I mean, he's a big hit guy. I mean, he, he's really been important. So, yeah, I think I mean, there is an argument, though, that you flip an outfielder and, and get something for it. But I think, 
you feel a lot better about Bryce Harper leaving after next year if that happens. If you know you can play an outfield of, you know, Eaton, uh, Taylor, and Robles, who uh, Robles obviously showed himself able to contribute. So, yeah, I think they're feeling really good. And, and Michael Taylor was a bonus. I think coming into this year, they, they thought he was never going to be that guy. And then suddenly, I think they really believe he is that guy. Interesting. MLB uh, TradeRumors.com has a guy on their staff that uh, projects the, um, the, quali- the not the qualifying offer, yeah, the, what these people will make in arbitration. Mm-hmm. And he's got Josh Donaldson at 20, $20.2 million, Manny at 17.3. But the Nats, as we know, back in May, have Bryce Harper signed for next year for $21 million. But that seems about right, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I, I will say that when the Nats kind of buy out arbitration, they do a really good job. And I yeah. think signing Bryce for next year was a really – mutually beneficial thing, especially when he gets hurt, you know, he gets the money. There's no animosity in arbitration this year. So I think that was one of the smartest kind of subtle moves that they made before. I thought it was get that done and take the pressure off. Yeah. One thing, one quick thing before we let you go. And that's that I wanted to get your take on all the fiasco that happened in the 24 hours leading up to the Strasburg eventual start in game four. (laughs) Do you think it basically finally came down to maybe Scott Burroughs getting on the phone and saying, Stephen, unless you can't possibly walk, you need to take the ball? I have no evidence of that, but if I would be absolutely lying to you if I said I didn't think he played a role in all that. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's so funny because it all turned out. It was, like, it was just an agonizing 12 hours for everyone involved, and it worked out perfectly. You know what I mean? It, it, so it, it was crazy, but I, I do think maybe somebody said, look, you're getting killed for this. You need to try. And I do believe that he got better, too. But, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's got to be something there, but I have heard nobody say so, and I expect never to hear anyone admit as much. Well, if he wasn't better, he can pitch like that sick all the time. <laughs> hey, hey, Chelsea, you've covered the Nats for a good while now. You, you've watched how the learners operate. I just want to ask you the last question. Not only did the Nats do what was right for themselves and right for perhaps the long-term signing of Bryce Harper by buying out the arbitration, do you think at all that they were sort of sticking it to their Masson rivals? Uh, Because now they've got Machado slotted at 17.2, and and maybe the number's 18, but they've got him – and we know Peter Angelos is not going to buy out arbitration, uh, especially now. Uh, they've got him sitting and stewing a little bit at three and a half, four million less than Bryce Harper. And we know that Manny Machado thinks he's the equal of. Do you think there was some gamesmanship there? Um, I don't. I I think you know. I, I don't think that the Orioles Nats rivalry in that sense is overblown. Okay. But I think Bryce Harper is sort of like his own separate entity okay. that consumes a lot of the Nats thinking. That being said, I do not think they're upset that it looks that way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I think there's certainly <laughs> like a side bonus there. Yeah, but like, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. It doesn't look that way. I guarantee you Manny Machado, when he sees those numbers and compares what Donaldson is slated at and what Harper's already signed for, he's not going to be a happy camper. Chelsea James of the Washington Post will grab you as we get closer to winter baseball meetings. Thank you so much for joining in. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. Very fine writer. 
covers she's the, the Nats. She does a great best. job. She really is. Yeah. She's the best. And yeah. uh, she's like the Peter Schmuck of the Washington Post. Uh, yeah, but she's back a when he lot hired better looking than Peter Schmuck is. <laughs> well, Bonza is too. Yeah, you know and he drives truth. faster. Than right. Peter Schmuck. Exactly. Well, I'm not so sure about that. All right. We've got to take a time out, but I've got to tell you, if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Batch Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winning the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown only with food. Food, right. That's right. It's like, like Cooperstown. Check them out. At BigBats.com. We'll be back with more. Josh Soroka coming up next from Section 336. Great news. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need, when, and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast, too, so they can cater your morning meeting, including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, ten to noon. Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance 
violence because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, Stan the Fan Charles makes suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Oh, we are back on the battle round on this Saturday, the 14th of October, 3.30 this afternoon. The uh, Houston Astros will host uh, the New York Yankees in game two of their series. And then at 8 o'clock, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers host the Cubs in that series. I love the Dodgers in that series, Craig. I do, too. And it would be the only thing that really throws a monkey wrench into it is the amount of time they've had uh, after sweeping the Diamondbacks. Uh, but when you compare it last year where they went in limping, you know, they had to use Kershaw in game five, much like they're in the exact opposite situation they were in the, last the, the, year. Like the Cubs are right yep. now with having – and Davis, you know, like I said, that was a seven-out save the other night, uh, two and a third inning. Does so. not bode well That's, for no. me. Joining us right now is somebody I've gotten to know over the past year. He and his brother Matt and brother-in-law Bert, I hope I got that right, they host Section 336, and Josh Soroka joins us right now. Josh, how are you? I am doing well. I am at a 10-year-old girls' soccer game this morning, so just enjoying the weather outside. How many goals have been scored to this point? Uh, I think there's actually one by now. Hey, how about that? Is it on your daughter's side? It was, I believe. But see, today is weird. It is silent soccer weekend, which means... Parents and coaches aren't supposed to make any noise, and it's only supposed to be the kids who can talk and yell. So, so it's a little you, weird watching. Are you are you far enough away where the referees will come over to you? But you know yes, what? I'm, In this day and age, that's probably a good idea. When you stop I to get con- it. when you stop to consider the parents get a little overzealous in a lot of in a lot of places and in a lot of sporting events. Uh, this is supposed to be for the kids. Right, but isn't it sad that we have to make that a rule? Yeah, yeah. That would be kind of like saying yeah. sports talk radio ought to have a, su- a Saturday where it's silent Saturday. Yeah, exactly. But no, it, oh, well. it is sad that it's come to that, Josh, but by the same token, and I don't mean you here, but I'm, I'm saying... There are a uh, lot of jackass parents. There are, there. And they put themselves in that position, and they're the reason why it is the way it is you know, at yeah. that tournament or whatever you're watching. Oh, yeah. No, I've coached high school basketball before. There's, there's parents that are rough. All right, let's so. let's move on to baseball. First of all, I did get it right. Your brother's Matt. Your brother-in-law's Bert, correct? Yeah, yeah, you got it correct. Boy, it's great. It only took me about a year to do that. I just can't believe there was a goal in that soccer game. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every now and then. Every now and then. Every now and then a well, squirrel yeah, gets a, I, a nut. I you told know. you. I told you my theory on soccer. What's that? I can run around on a Saturday night for ninety minutes and not score. <laughs> 
And have. <laughs> Thank you. Josh Soroka is our guest, uh, Section 336. You've had about two weeks now to get it under your, you know, get it under control how you're feeling. Um, obviously, pitching is the uh, is the target this offseason. How do the Orioles fix what is most broken on their team, Josh Soroka? I think they have to go hard after Alex Cobb. I think he's going to be more expensive than you want to spend on him because the pitching market's pretty soft this offseason. Yep. But I think that's a guy who is proven in the AL East, and if there's anything we've learned as Oriole fans is you, it's different to pitch in the AL East. And I don't want to bring in another guy from the National League who has good numbers, and maybe it'll work out. I want to bring in a proven guy that can sit up there with Gosman and Bundy, and I'm assuming Tillman will be back. So let's just say for a moment that, and, and it's going to be some stern competition because I guarantee you the Cubs are going to be losing John Lackey out of their rotation. A team like that's going to go hard after him. But let's just say the Orioles were able to get him. Now you've got, just for, hypothetically, Cobb, Bundy, and Gosman set up. You're still right. minus two names. I know you threw the name Tillman in. To me, Tillman can't be more... And I'm not talking even about what kind of money they might offer him, but he can't be more than a like a lottery ticket to me to come back and be what he once was. And I'm willing to take that chance, but I don't go in next year to, through the offseason saying, well, he's going to be back and he's our number four guy. Uh, because there's problems. Last year they didn't end up with four, two, three, four, five, six, or seven weren't good options to me they got to go in with six or seven good options next year yeah but you know you we know how duquette goes he loves the lottery option so he will go and he's going to put out castro as an option he's going to put you out as an option and then he's going to say we've got a bunch of pitchers even if on paper Technically, they throw the ball, but I don't know if I classify them as starting pitchers. I mean, it's, it's fair to have Inoa as your sixth option to me. You know, I mean, I think he's a guy that certainly could come in and make the team out of spring training and maybe make that fifth starter slot. But I'm talking about numbers four and five now. I just can't go right. in. After what we went through this year, I can't go in with Inoa as my game plan for, for start starter number four or five. I get that. And I, I, I just, the problem is, I don't know. You got to, what I want the Orioles to tell me, and they would, they need to show me this off season is what is, what's the plan with Manny? Do we go all in this year for Manny or do we continue to develop, give Manny that extension and that opens up our window wider. And if you're opening up the window wider, I'm not concerned too bad about pitchers who are developing because I don't feel like the pressure's on for this year. If you don't extend them this offseason, then you might as well sign, just open up the paycheck, go do what the Nationals do, and go all in before you, they lose Bryce Harper and do the same exact thing because uh, Peter Angelos isn't going to be around that long, and if Manny's not going to be around either, things are going to change. And it might be back time for 14 years. The, pr the problem is what the Nationals did last May, they bought out his uh, Bryce Harper's last season of arbitration at $21-plus million. 
The Orioles haven't done that, and it's too late to buy that out now. Uh, there's no way a team would buy out that arbitration now. So they're going to have most likely a slightly unhappy Manny Machado on a one-year contract unless they can right. somehow figure a way to engage his agent, Dan Lozano, in some serious talks about what it's going to take long-term on a six-, seven-, eight-year deal. Yeah, and I think that's the key is everyone likes to talk 10 years, but Manny's still young. If we can get him for six or seven, he'll still be pretty much in his prime when that contract's up, and then he could make even more money. And that the, we all know how the baseball market changes over years. It'll be completely different number-wise. We saw Mike Trout looks like a steal now yep. for what the Angels gave him many years no ago. No question so, about it. No question I about it. I think maybe the Orioles can work something out like that if Duquette works now and not in February. Totally agree. And uh, but, but the one thing that they have to make sure of is they have to get something done with Manny because you just don't want to lose him and not get anything in return. If there was a way you could trade him, if you know for a fact that you're not going to sign him and there's no way of signing him, you just can't let him walk, uh, in my mind, for draft picks. Yeah, I care way more about how they handle Manny than how they're going to handle pitching this offseason. As important as pitching is, I think Manny is this team. Well, and I think because one, I think, has a direct effect on the other. Well, hold on, guys, for a second. Doesn't how they handle pitching perhaps influence? So, in other words, you think Manny Machado is only about money. In other words, I don't see it that way. I think Manny can get the money any place he wants to play on the planet. I think what the Orioles need to do is convince Manny Machado that he has a chance to get the money and be on a really good contending team. And I don't think they've made a great case for that over the last couple of years. And I likened it last year. I wrote about it. I likened it to Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. City yeah. He was going to get right. the money wherever he played. In fact, he's bent over backwards. He's given more money back to the Warriors and taken less to play on a championship-caliber team. I, I think that they have to get the pitching to convince Manny that, hey, I'm with an organization that is willing to go spend $19 million for a starting pitcher, 17 for a starting pitcher. Because this, this nonsense of thinking you're going to get by with Jason Aquino and Chris Lee, uh, that, that was really – I, I got to tell you, to me, Buck lost a lot of credibility throwing those names out last spring. Yeah, I think – um, I think a shorter-term goal deal helps with with taking it, making it more on the money because there's still plenty of time in your career to win it all. But if I'm Dan Duquette, I go to Manny Machado and I say, what do we need to do to get you to stay? If it's money, if it's time pitching, you do whatever that is because it's way more than just about what goes on on the field. Manny Machado is the next generation's Cal Ripken Jr., and Calvin Jr. played on a lot of losing teams, but people still came to see Calvin Jr. play. And we've got that same situation now with Manny Machado. Well, I think the difference is the Cal Ripken generation back then, it was just sort of always about what's in it for me. And I don't mean to say that Cal was selfish, he wasn't, but it was, I don't think players felt that they were empowered enough to help make a decision and anoint a team that's going to be a winner or a loser. 
And, again, that's my biggest point with the Orioles. And, Josh, I just have to ask you, you keep mentioning that Dan's got to do this, Dan should do this, Dan's got to do this. Do you really think it's all Dan's fault where they've been, that the owner doesn't play a small part in that? <laughs> I like to hope so. I like to think that. Or are you just still I, um, thinking you're going to get hired by Masson? <laughs> I, I think there's no chance that Masson will ever reach out to Section 336. Um, I think we're a little too opinionated and don't praise the Orioles nonstop. Right. So, so, so here's, my, here's my question, seriously. Peter Angelos, at the end of the day, dictates the pace and tempo of what they do. You're not yeah. going to convince me that Dan Duquette, as good a baseball guy as he's been for th- over 30 years, that he thought that Ubaldo Jimenez and Giovanni Gallardo and Wade Miley are the best players he could possibly acquire. He's, he's basically, to use the term of Hillary Clinton, he's basically handed by Peter Angelos a basket of deplorables and said, pick, pick one or two of these guys. This is what we're going to pay for starting pitching. And Hillary knew that going <laughs> forward. It just took her uh, how many days or maybe weeks to come forward and say, yeah, she knew it. Anyway. Yeah, and I, I get that. And, yeah, Peter Angelos ha- handles the numbers and says, here's what your budget is. But it's on Dan Duquette to make that budget work. And it's on Dan Duquette to push Peter Angelos and convince Peter Angelos that Manny Machado is the guy to invest in. And I don't know what that relationship's like. I know that Peter Angelos, it appears, stepped out with the Chris Davis situation and went around Duquette. Yep. And that's irritating, and that screws everything up for a long time. So I don't know. No one's ever really going to know the true relationship between Peter Angelos, Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter, and I guess Brady Anderson. That's a very, very good point and an interesting point because – you know, if you if you believe what you hear about, if you hear what you believe about, uh, you know Brady and maybe his interference. That story, yep. you know, was broken about a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, and and you know certainly we know what Stan said. You know, it's it's Peter who certainly is the ultimate say in all of this, as he should, because he's he owns he's the, the ball owner. Club. He's the owner. He's of the, the owner of the club. Yeah. But at the same time, you'll you're never going to know what those relationships are like, and even even the relationship between Dan and Buck. <laughs> but but wasn't it nice for a few years? There's what five or six years of winning baseball to be able to forget about Peter Angelos. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. After, after 14 years of blaming Peter Angelos to just not think about him. And I'm really not to the point yet that I'm ready to go back to that. Yeah, I'm I'm not either. Look, I'd love nothing more, to be quite honest with you, I'd love nothing more than for Peter Angelos, forget the players he acquires, I'd love for him to announce tomorrow, Monday, not tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, that Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter both agreed to three-year extensions. That would make me feel very confident about the future of the Baltimore Orioles but that's not the way that Buck, I mean, that Peter handles contracts. He never goes to somebody under contract a year in advance and says, hey, let's rip this up and work on moving. He always loves to play out contracts because that's what lawyers do. I agree, and I think just like we were talking about Manny, if you sign Buck long-term, that helps with moves like Manny. Um, But you know what I really want from Peter Angelos? is I want Peter Angelos to stop hiding. 
I want to see him at the stadium once in a while. I want to see him out in front and face the fans. I know he's a, he, he backed off when, when things went downhill and the fans started booing him. I'd like him to he can be proud of this organization again and go, to, go in public to games. I thought it was very sad that he was not at the statue unveiling. Yep. That he was not presenting that. So well, I, a lot of that has I, to do with the current his health situation. You know, Peter's eighty-eight sure. years old. The the idea that he's suddenly going to be a an out there guy. I don't think it has as much to do about fear of being booed or anything. I have, think it has to be to, to much to do about how he's doing health wise and how he can uh, yeah. be out in public. Uh, Josh, right, we but- re- we appreciate your taking some of your Saturday. We've got former O's closer Greg Olson coming up next on the show, so we need to make way for him. All right, maybe he can come back and use that curveball a little more. I would love to see that, too. Enjoy the uh, silent Saturday soccer. All right, have a good day. All right, there you have it, Josh Soroka, Section 336, on our series of podcasts by going to Pressbox online.com i covered the olsen game in oakland i was out at the coliseum when he struck out mcguire parker and canseco now was that to to preserve the no hitter no 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 that was to to just just save to, the game, yeah right? yeah yeah so that that's was one of the most that's when this that stadium looked beautiful that's back then when yeah before Boy, that they, place was a gorgeous place to it watch was, a baseball it was no question about it uh we're going to be joined in just a moment by um by uh, former Orioles closer Greg Olson. You you uh, laugh at my Dusty Baker to Boston scenario, and 99 out of 100 people are going to laugh at it. Who do you think ends up with that job in Boston? You brought up a name that I didn't even really think of on the on, on the periphery. Well, and, and Leland? No. And, uh, no, I, I totally agree with the – I totally believe what Jim Leland said at the World yeah. Baseball Classic. He's done. I mean, I really don't think he's got an interest in, in doing that. And it would have to be, obviously, the right situation. So who was the guy I mentioned on the Brad play? Osmus. I think Brad Osmus would be a good fit. Well, Dombrowski likes him. There's yeah. no question about it. I just question whether his resume is good enough for Boston. Well, whether his resume is good enough. And also, uh, we saw a little bit of his demeanor a little bit when, when things started to go sour. Not that it was a bad demeanor. I always right. thought he handled it very classy. Yeah. But when the pressure started to build in Detroit when they weren't doing so well, uh, and you know he's going to have to have some pretty thick skin up in Boston. He will indeed. Uh, One person we know that always had thick skin because he was out there when the game was on the line and he succeeded most of the time. That's Greg Olson, uh, the Otter. Greg, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks I, for having me. I think you remember my co-host, Craig Heist, because yeah. Craig must have had his mic in your face quite a bit in the old <laughs> days. <laughs> hey, yeah. Craig, how are you? I'm good. The only thing I remember about uh, a lot of those, uh, you know, teams were, you know, Frank, number one, right? Uh, you know, and, and the way he, of course, we had the why not year, and then a little after that, uh, Johnny Oates after that, uh, you, know, you know, and while the teams weren't all that great, after '89, uh, still some pretty, pretty fun baseball, especially when you oh, got yeah. when you got a chance to watch this guy close games out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It was, uh, you know, we just had the reunion for the 25th anniversary of Camden Yards, and then uh, had the 1992 team back, and it was, it was great to get back together. You know, um, really, other than, other than Cal and and Mike and Mike Messina. Um, 
you know, the guy, those are the only two guys that kind of finished finished the game well. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and you, you look at our roster, and it was Baltimore always did a lot with um, role players. You know, guys that that the fans loved, and and they did a good job when they were in there, and and uh, you know, and after everybody left, it was. You know, the, the careers didn't turn out to be what they looked like they might they started in Baltimore. You know, they can, you know, Finley had a great career, never, you know, never went to the high end of the of the spectrum. Um, Schilling obviously finished well, but never did anything in Baltimore. Myself, uh, blowing out in Baltimore. You know, Ben McDonald got hurt and, and never finished what, you know, he looked like he was going to be. So, Greg, you let me interrupt you there for one second. You refer to yourself as kind of blowing out in Baltimore. I mean, you you yeah, blew yeah. out in terms of the arm, but not your yeah, perfor- yeah. not performance wise. That's what he's talking about. I'm okay. sure. Well, yeah, but I mean, it. Uh, you know, I I, I sit there. I, I can relate to Tiger Woods. I can relate to. Yeah. You lose. I lost. I lost the edge of invincibility. Uh-huh. You know, I was. I was. I was out there and invincible and uh, got hurt. And really, you know, I lost a little bit on the fastball and my breaking ball never, you know, there would, there would be a couple of them every once in a while, but they were never the consistent. I could never, you know, after I got hurt in 93, I could never get to two strikes and 0-2 count and just go, here, here's, here's two of them and one of them you're going to be out. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, if you can take this one fine, the next one's going to be over the plate, and you're out, or else you're going to swing at one of them. And I never, never got to that point. So then I became a, you know, all right, got to figure out how to get you out. And uh, never, never was quite the same after that. Well, that period of invincibility, uh, I was at Oakland the the day that you. uh, took down Parker, Conseco, and McGuire in order, and that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen on the baseball field. I appreciate that. And that was uh, that was one of those moments where I try to explain it to people that aren't um, in my body, and it doesn't sound very good. So, you know, it was literally, you know, I went the eighth inning and, and uh, had been a set-up guy and had a decent month, nothing great, but I was starting to, you know, kind of get my feeling of being in the major leagues. And, and um, I went the eighth and was throwing, you know, threw really well in the eighth and then went and sat in the dugout and shut down because Mark Williamson had been closing games. And, you know, just kind of sat there. I was getting ready to watch the ninth, and, you know, I did my job, and I was happy and literally started shutting down and, then I started realizing nobody was coming over to tell me that I was out. <laughs> you know, and I kind of started looking around going, I am out, right? And then I went down to the bullpen and Williamson wasn't warming up. And I was like, all right, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. <laughs> Who was your pitching coach then? Was it Al Jackson? It was. Yeah. And uh, so, no, you know, I started realizing and I was like, oh, crap, you know, because I went 8 nine, one, And I was like, they are so not doing this. <laughs> and it was literally, literally one of those where it was just going, okay, all right, yeah, you're you're good, all right, you can do this. Yeah, but and, uh, no, nobody came over and said anything. Yeah, but when you're sitting there and you're trying to figure all this out, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a minute, McGuire can say go Parker. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I, did, I, I really, I didn't even look. Oh, okay. And and for me. Um, 
for me at that point in like 89, 90, 91, I had no concept. I mean, I had a concept, but I, I couldn't tell you where things were going to end up because I didn't know where I was throwing things. I was throwing fastballs as hard as I could throw them in the middle of the box. And I was throwing my breaking ball as hard as I could throw it somewhere down in the bottom of the zone. I didn't care where. And that was me. So for me in scouting reports, I was like, well, yeah, McGuire's a great breaking ball hitter, but I kind of got to throw him a breaking ball. (laughs) And um, I don't have any other pitch other than a fastball and a breaking ball, and I'm not eliminating one because hypothetically he's a good breaking ball hitter. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any idea nor care who was coming up other than the fact that they were really good. And I was like, I'm 22. I shouldn't be doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Greg Olson, former Orioles closer. And Greg, you mentioned just this concept of losing the edge of, uh, of invincibility. Uh, I've gotten to know Ben McDonald a little bit now in his second life in Baltimore doing play-by-play. And I heard him on another talk show in town talking about, you know, because like yourself, he was out of the game by about the age of 31-ish. And how rough a time he had adjusting to life without baseball. Was it the same for you? Yeah, I couldn't, um, you know, I, I, I hit another nine teams after Baltimore, you know, and explain to my kids about fighting for fighting for what you want. I I went to camp in ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety four, you know, as a minor league as a minor right. league free agent. And um, you know, there was no major league contract and I know there was no minor league contract. If I didn't make it, I was out. And um so yeah, I was I was fighting for jobs. So by the time I got done with the Dodgers in '01, I I'd blown my elbow out again. Right. And um, had a couple other issues and was kind of a mess. So went to camp in '02, was still screwed up. Got released by the Pirates, and then you know took took all the two off. I was trying to you know find find a good reason to to get the surgery and and take the year off and get healthy. Um, just didn't pull the trigger and took 03 I went and tried out 04 I went down to camp with the Diamondbacks as an advisor and you know was throwing BP and the the pitching coach came over and said you know you're breaking both better than anybody else's in camp right now (laughs) and he goes why don't you go home take all the time you need to get you know to get it going again and gear up and and then give me a call and and uh we'll bring you in and I went home and, and uh, fought for a month and, you know, got to the point where I got to at the end of my career where, you know, I, I couldn't throw a fastball over 90%. Right. And uh, the breaking ball was fine. The breaking ball didn't hurt, which was shocking, but the fastball hurt. And, uh, you know, so it, it took me, I mean, that, that in itself is almost three years of me, you know, trying to play. Right. So, yeah, I completely understand what Ben's talking about. And, and uh, you know, I didn't want to get back in the game as a pitching coach, and you know, for a while. And finally got back in as an advanced scout for the Padres in, I think, 09. It took me a long while to be able to watch baseball, talk about baseball. Yeah, it just hurt. Yeah. I always wondered, 
as, as, as the years went by, I always wondered what a rotation that included Ben McDonald along with Mike Messina would have been like for an extended period of time. Well, then you throw in, you know, we tried Kurt Schilling. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, Harness, Harness would, you know, Harness ended up having, you know, having good years through at least 98. Um, yeah, there were, there were pieces there that uh, it would have been, you know, we traded Finley. You know, Brady Brady stayed for a long time. Devereaux had a good career. Right. Yeah, if they would have kept the pieces, it would have been pretty interesting. But, you know, when... Uh, Angelos came in in ninety end of ninety three was when they cut me loose right and um I think probably soon after ninety i don't i don't know if it was ninety five ninety six you know the Orioles delved into free agency for the first time in their history you know they we never got free agents my five or six years there other than minor league guys or triple a guys or you know we really didn't and it was always homegrown. So, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like. It would have been pretty interesting, though. Yeah. Know? Hey, hey, Greg, my producer just handed me a note, and I'd forgotten about this. Buck Showalter, of course, is the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. He managed you in 1998 and 99. You were the pitcher that he ordered to throw the intentional walk to Barry Bonds with the bases loaded. I was. That was me. What did you think when he came out and, or, or signaled from the dugout to do that, did you think it was crazy, or were you relieved? <laughs> probably, probably thought the same thing you did when you were in the dugout, going, "Wait a minute, am I done yet, or what?" <laughs> do you want the long version or the short version? I'll take. I'll, I'll take. But uh, we've got the long version. We got time for that. Well, I came in. I came in in the eighth to face. We had a two-run lead. Bonds was Bonds had the day off, and. We were winning, I don't know, seven to five, hypothetically, seven okay. to five. And so Bonds pinch hits in the eighth, in the bottom of the eighth. And I'm warming up. I'm closing for Arizona. And um, so they put me in the face Bonds. And I don't Bonds had, I don't know, some explosive year. And um, <clears throat> went through the sequence. I got behind three and one. I threw a good breaking ball, you know. He wasn't going to swing at it. I got 3-2, and then I threw the perfect, perfect fastball down and away and just locked him up. And the umpire called it ball four. And so he peels off all his gear, standing in the box like I just intentionally walked him, and walked down to first base. I'm sitting there looking at him going, everybody else in the league is out. Right. And I'm in the dugout. And I said, don't do that. And I was like, all right, whatever. Got the next guy out. It starts to rain. Uh, we get a home run to make it 8-5. to five. And I get out of the mound to get the first guy out on a strikeout. And then, you know, the, the wet footing starts, <clears throat> starts bothering me. And um, I end up walking, I think I walked six in an inning and two-thirds, inning and a third. I walked six guys, uh, gave up a double to Jeff Kent. Well, it comes around now that I'm, I'm, I'm up in the 40 pitches. You know, you saw Giles last night, and they're saying, you know, this is his most pitches he's thrown right. in the game was 32. I'm in the 40s. And 
we got a kid that we just signed from the Mexican League that was left-handed warming up in the bullpen. And I, I'm, I'm physically exhausted because it had been intense, you know, throughout that whole ninth inning and the eighth inning a little bit. And so Bonds comes back up, and the guy on deck, Brent Main, wore me out. He killed me. He was like 4 for 10 or 5 for 11 in his career. So it wasn't like it was a great move back, you know, move down in the matchup. Right. Um, so I'm out there, and it's like Bonds comes up. I'm just going, all right, let's see what I can pull out of this bag of tricks because I got nothing left. <laughs> and uh, so I'm standing there. I was like, you know what? I could just hit him. <laughs> you know, and, and and pay him back for that that peeling all his stuff off in the batter's box if I hit him. Right. And if I if I miss, then we intentionally walk him anyway. So there's no downside to this plan. And then Buck stands up and puts the four, and I'm kind of standing on the mound, going, "Well, I can't hit him now." <laughs> I was like, "All right, crud." You know. So we go through it, and then well, then the next guy, Brent Maine, comes up. And I get a head count, try to punch him out to end the game, and it's it becomes a foul ball, three two. I think he fouled off like five three two fastballs, and they're just middle of the plate, little sinker, and it was just one after another after another after another, and he just kept fouling him back. I'm like, will you just please do something, <laughs> just end the game one way or the other right now, please. I'm just done, and he finally hits a medium liner to right field and we win and I walked into Showalter's office after having a couple milks immediately after I walked into the house. and I just said hey Buck you got a minute and he goes yeah well, what do you got and I said you know I, apparently we just did something that hasn't happened in 47 years right I said could you um next time that you know we we do something this odd <laughs> could you walk out and have a mound talk with me and he just looked at me and goes what are you talking about? I said, I wanted to hit him. I would have killed him. <laughs> I said, I had a four seam right in the middle of his numbers, as hard as I could throw a ball. Right. And he just looks at me and goes, I didn't even think of that. And I said, <laughs> I said, and I was just looking at him, I was like, mound conversation. You know, I, I, I fancy myself reasonably intelligent. I thought this one through. I wanted to kill him. Right, because that was a free shot at him. That is amazing. And he just looks at me and he goes, didn't even think about that one. I was like, yeah, he would have been walking down the first baseline going, there's no way he did that on purpose. That's a great that's, that's a, a great, great story. Hey, let me ask you this. What do you remember about your only home run did you hit? Uh, Which was your first at bat, right? No, I I'd had uh, three at bat. Oh, your only hit. One that's right. And struck out all three times looking poorly. Um, funny thing was, I, the 3-2 pitch before it, I kind of just – Check swinged and fouled it off. It would have been strike three, and it was like, oh, it's still alive. This, you know, the guy was kind of a weird right-handed. Looked like he was throwing right at me. And this is going to sound amazingly bizarre, but he threw the pitch, and as I saw it, I said to myself, "I can hit this." It's and it's it so who, who was the who was the pitcher? Do you remember? Oh yeah, Oscar Henriquez. All right. But but he that's got sent down, he got sent down a week later. But for me, it's in, in, what? <laughs> that's the old adage. You know, that's the old adage, though. The the game really slowed down, down for right. you, right? 
No, it, it really does. It's hard to explain, but the longer you play, it really, you know, on if somebody laid down a bunt or a swinging bunt, I knew exactly how long I had. You know, you, yeah. you really do. And so, you know, I try to explain it, and it's, it's impossible to explain because I can't say I can hit this pitch in a half a second. But wow. I did. Wow. So it was, it was just one of those where I saw it, slowed down, he threw the only pitch I could hit, and right when I hit it, I was like, "I just went deep." <laughs> I was like, "All right," I was like, "All right," I just made it twelve to four. Run as fast as you can because I don't want the next guy to get hit because that's then I'm going to have to hit the first guy the next inning, and then I'm the one that's going to get in the fight. That's right. That's a great story. And that's literally the idea of every now and then you run into one, right? <laughs> exactly. Just keep swinging the bat, and you might hit one. Hey, Greg, you got to witness pretty much firsthand all the trials and tribulations that Brady Anderson had in establishing himself as an everyday player in the major leagues. Uh, I think the Orioles acquired him in 88 in that trade. In the Boddicker deal. In the Boddicker deal where we got Schilling and Anderson for Boddicker going to the Red Sox. But he didn't immediately make it. He struggled for mightily for three seasons until they moved into Camden Yards and Johnny Oates uh, said, you know what, you're going to be my leadoff hitter and everyday left fielder. Um, your th- your thoughts about your ex-teammate and, and how how it took him that long, but what he established himself into being. Well, you know what, I mean, he, he, he was always talented. He always, you know, had glimpses. Um, great defensive outfielder, um, always had, you know, you'd, you'd have little glimpses of what he could be, you know, every once in a while, not very often. And so he was, you know, doing the part-time, and it, it didn't, there was so much to be said for confidence in baseball. You know, if you're confident in the pitch that I'm going to throw, I'm going to make that pitch. If you're confident at the plate, you know, regardless of what's going on, you're, you got to, you're going to put a good at bat on it. And, I, I really think that gave him a little bit of confidence, and I think it probably took him, you know, weeks of that first year where he was playing every day to go, okay, they're really not taking putting me on the bench. I'm really out here, and Brady Brady's confident, a very confident person anyway. Yep. And uh, you know, he carried an air of confidence even when he was part time playing and hitting 200. He was still a very confident person. So. I'm sure that just added to his fire, and you know, once he saw that, hey, I really am out here every day. Let's go, and it kicked him into what he was. I'm sure, there was more to it, but you know, that's what I saw. <laughs> We're talking with Greg Olson, Greg. Uh, when I recollect your career, I know you played for Frank Robinson and Johnny Oates in Baltimore. Uh, you played for a lot of different managers. Buck, like you mentioned, in Arizona. Who stands out to you as as maybe the the best person and then separately the best manager you ever played for? Well, I mean, <clears throat> people-wise, Johnny Oates was as, as good a human being as there was. Yeah. Um, Bobby Cox was as good a human being as there was. You know, I'm not saying any of the other guys weren't. I'm just saying those two guys really were just really solid, you know, honorable men. And I'm not saying anything. I'm not against anybody else. Man, I mean, that's why that's why Buck wears number 26 here as manager of the Orioles because it was a number Johnny wore. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, yep. Johnny was that type of guy. Yep. He was he was really a, a great human being. Um, manager wise, you know, Buck Buck probably bar none for me. You know, I had Bobby Cox, I had Bob Boone, I had Davey Johnson, um, Jim Tracy. I had so many managers. Yep. Buck was for me was you know always one of the the best even with and his lack even with his lack it. even with his lack of communication with you <laughs> oh that was just one of those you know what he really you know i don't know he he's changed since then yeah you know um and i don't know if i helped him in any of that because you know i, I was a very uh i was probably one of the few really i don't know if i was a thinking mm-hmm. closer and you know, we just, you know, we we just kind of figured things out. I mean, early, you know, early in that same year, '98, you know, I struggled and I, I had been struggling a little bit in April, and uh, we were playing the Padres, and I kind of stunk in the first inning. I would walk out in the Padres and give up two, and and I was really just trying to find a breaking ball, so I was really fighting and and uh, walk in the dugout, and he just kind of came over and patted me on the butt and said, "You're done," and I said, "Hey, look." Send me back out there. I said, you know, the way I'm pitching, I'm not going to be any meaningful game tomorrow. And I said, this game's not meaningful now. I said, send me back out there. I, I need to find my breaking ball. I need to find myself. And I'm just missing a little bit. And I said, let me just go back out there while I'm hot. Right. And this game, and he just kind of looks at me and goes, okay. That's interesting. I like, wow, I just talked to manager into leaving me in the game. I said, I have never been able to do that. You know, as many years as you can you know, kind yeah. of fight for guys, and, and uh, he just kind of looks at me and goes, okay. And I went back out, and, you know, one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. And then after that, I took over the closer's job in about two weeks and, and um, ended up having a great year in 98. And I think that was a big part of it because he just, you know, he listened and, and, um, that's a, that's a great story. That's a great story. Greg, tell our listeners out there and Craig Heish, because I know a little bit about what you're doing today, but uh, why don't you tell our listeners, and then we'll let you get on your way out to what you're doing. Well, actually, today I flew down and saw my uh, two kids in Auburn, and I'm going to uh, the Auburn LSU game in Baton Rouge. I am staying with uh, our friend Ben McDonald. uh, Hey, go. Going to the LSU game in about an hour, so I was kind of like, "Okay, what time are you guys calling me?" When when you um, see when you see Ben today, ask him just say, "Heisty wants to know what his feelings were about the Troy game." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll pass that on. Yeah, but uh, I've been uh, I've been running an underwear company called Toolshed Sports. It's, uh, you know, ToolshedUSA.com. We sell. Um, sell sliding shorts with the underwear to Major League Baseball. we got 27 teams that buy it, Alabama football, USC football. That's all great. Customers. Yeah. And they're called tool, uh, it's called Toolshed Sports? Yeah, but you'll find it at ToolshedUSA.com. Uh, Toolshed. Yep, on .com. All right. got to do a and story all, in Press Box about that. That's, a, that's yeah, very all, cool. All, Ameri- all American made. I know I'm talking to the people that live in Under Armour world. But yep. Um, it's kind of the same stuff, but it's all American made and, and, uh, you know, got, uh, 27 major league teams that are wearing it and it's awesome. Stuff. That's awesome. Good, good fitting stuff. Even for guys who might be a little like paunchy, our, yeah. a little paunchy like us. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm sure you're not paunchy. Come on. 
No, we're fat. Um, we're <laughs> fat. Yeah. <laughs> we're just fat. Greg, we really appreciate your being on. We'll catch you down the road. I'll reach out to you every once in a while. And I'm, I am going to put that in our hopper to do a story on that. Uh, you got any You got any schools in the Maryland area? I mean, you're talking to the University of Maryland? No, of course or? not. Yeah. No. There's no. You know what? There, there are certain places that I know better than even to try. And, you know, the Maryland region, no shot. And, uh, of course, in Oregon, I got no shot. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah. got you. All right. You're not bucking up against yeah. Under Armour or Nike. All well, right. I buck up against them enough. You know, it's uh, Under Armour's. Under Armour's been good to us, Steve. So, all right. Yeah, we appreciate you. Won't your... find us anywhere in Maryland. All right, <laughs> we appreciate your being on. Your kids are going both going to school there in Auburn. I got two at Auburn and two at home. That's great. All right. Well, we're happy uh, things are going well for you, and we thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Otter. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the all game right. today. And say hi to Ben McDonald. All right, there you have it. Yeah, that Troy loss was you can you cannot. I don't care, new coach. Uh, you, you know, trying to get the program. Uh, not that it it's wasn't down. quite as bad as Texas losing to Maryland, though, was it? Uh, pretty equal. Yeah, yeah but Texas well, what, about, what about Clemson yesterday? Te- yeah, Clemson loses to Syracuse last night up at the I Carrier Dome. Oh, oh yeah. boy, what was <laughs> the score of that? Twenty-seven, twenty-four. Yeah. yeah. And then wow. how does Clemson uh, what, did lose? You, do you remember or did you see what the final score of the uh, Cal game was last? Thirty-seven night? to three, I think. 30, okay, Cal just they just blew out. Was it Washington State? Washington State, and they're ranked uh, eighth, eighth in the country. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Getting, some people were not prepared for Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> you're at uh, you're at uh, Maryland today. Maryland plays Northwestern, right? And Max uh, Bordenschlager is going to start, correct? I it was kind of going to be a game time decision, but, but due to yeah. health, though, not the fact right, that right, the other yeah, guy yeah. has beaten them out. So no, 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 because he was. Uh, he got dinged do, up last Do we week. know what the injury is, though? I DJ? think it was a concussion. Concussion. That's okay. what I think. Midweek, they hadn't said what said, it was. Well, yeah. yeah. I do want to say the story that came out this morning about Marvin Gonzalez. Yeah. He obviously yeah, made that about, big play in left field. Did you hear about this? Yeah. What happened after the game? And then after the game, he gets an escort to the hospital because his wife was in labor. And he joked around saying that he's going to name his new kid either Jose Altuve or Dallas Keiko. <laughs> How about Jose Dallas <laughs> Dallas Gonzalez? That's Jose right. Dallas there you Gonzalez. Go. <laughs> well, at least he was able to play. I had a player. You've heard me bitch and moan all year about my fantasy baseball team. Yeah. We did finish in the money. We finished fifth place. You make about $775. Fourth place pays about $1,500, $1,600. We lost out by one hit in batting average because we had a horrible day the last day of the season. Kevin Millar, uh, Pilar, not Millar, Kevin Pilar. <laughs> He leaves the Toronto Blue Jays on Friday, mm-hmm. the last weekend of the season, his wife giving birth to the baby. It's one thing to lose a guy for an injury in a game. He didn't come back, didn't play the three games. That's like losing a guy who goes on paternity leave now. Yeah, you can yeah. do that. And, yeah. So. Yeah, but the last weekend of the season, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we get back, I'll set up the uh, interview. We've got Ken Levine, who's going to join us, former Orioles play-by-play announcer and uh, former writer for Cheers, former writer for MASH, and he's got a great podcast called Hollywood and Levine.
Did you? Did, did does he talk about maybe Harvey Weinstein in in, in this podcast <laughs> no. or not? Oh my God! No, he didn't mention. <laughs> Harvey I just Weinstein. thought I'd ask. Didn't mention Harvey Weinstein. At just all. wondered. Okay. Nor did he talk about Donald Trump in the eight or nine assault charges against our president. Ah, okay. okay, yeah. All right. Okay, we will be right back after these these words. Join us for Jim McKay, Maryland Million Day on Saturday, October 21st at Laurel Park. Come with friends and family to Maryland's Day at the Races, a celebration of Maryland's horses and lots of fun for all ages. First race is at 12.15 with 11 exciting races. Don't miss the first annual hat contest, three categories and wonderful prizes. It will be fun for all at Laurel Park on Saturday, October 21st. For more information, visit MarylandMillion.com or MarylandRacing.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the contrast in College Park as Maryland football coach DJ Durkin overhauls the Terps culture in his second season at the helm. Plus, Stan the Fan Charles makes suggestions on how to fix the Orioles pitching rotation for 2018. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Pressbox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash Sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Great news! Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need when and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast too so they can cater your morning meeting including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard or give them a call 410-931-0031 The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. And whenever I think of the Los Angeles Dodgers and who we can talk to on the bat around about the Dodgers, 
I always think of a longtime friend, former Orioles play-by-play voice. He was also a voice for a while with the Seattle Mariners and the Dodgers, and that is Ken Levine. Ken, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Nice to talk to Baltimore again. Uh, well, we do this every Saturday morning, the bat around. Craig Heist is my co-host. He's not here to conduct this interview, but you remember Heisty, I'm pretty sure. I do indeed. All right. Yeah. Uh, so this year, the Dodgers, they got out of the gate, and I think late April they were three or four games under 500, and then they sort of like ignited a little bit, and they they took charge of the division, but then, but then they kind of took charge of the world, didn't they? Yeah, there was that fifty-game stretch where they were forty-three and seven, wow. and uh, they were just a, a, a buzzsaw. It was just unbelievable. So, so they were a buzzsaw. But at that time, that first forty-three fifty-games stretch, they had Clayton Kershaw, but but then Kershaw went down. And it seemed like it only got better for about the next six or seven weeks. Well, a number of things happened. Uh, certainly the, uh, the fact that Cody Bellinger, who didn't make the club out of spring training, uh, came aboard when Adrian Gonzalez got hurt. And Cody Bellinger is the odds-on favorite to be the National League Rookie of the Year. Um, and that really sparked the club. And then, like a couple of other people during that big stretch, Chris Taylor, who was like a throw in in a trade with the Mariners, uh, became the leadoff hitter and really sparked that offense. And he is as much a part of the Dodgers as anybody. And again, that was a piece that really wasn't expected. Um, Rich Hill pitched amazingly well. Uh, Alex Wood pitched amazingly well. Uh, the Dodger bullpen was terrific. And, uh, you know, it really helps when a team has a lead and it has starters that can take you into the sixth and seventh inning. You know, you don't burn out your bullpen when, you know, your starter goes two and a third and all of a sudden you're taxing your bullpen night after night. Yeah, so, that- like, a lot of things went well for the Dodgers, but look, you know, baseball, it's a very humbling game. Um, you know, you, you think back to, uh, you know, the Cleveland Indians winning what 22 in a row or something. And, and they were eliminated in the first round and they beat the record by the Oakland A's who won 20 some odd games in a row. And they were knocked out in the first round that year too. So, you know, the Mariners, who won 116 games in 2001, got, got knocked out. So, I heard I heard the stat last night during the Yankee-Cleveland broadcast that apparently since division series wildcard play, uh, there have been 23 teams that have won 100 games that got into the playoffs. Only three of them have advanced. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. I mean, it has more to do with what team is hot. It has more to do with how your team is structured. You know, you look at all of those Oakland A's teams that were so good during the regular season, but they weren't really built for the postseason in terms of rotation, etc. And, um, yeah, you, you can go down. And, of course, you know, when you got a a five-game series, 
then boy, all you need is like, you know, one bad game or one good break or one reserve player to suddenly get hot and hit three home runs after he's hit only two home runs in the previous two seasons and things turn around. Let me t- let me move to a couple players that I watch from afar because I I don't see an awful lot of the Dodgers, but yet I'm home. Well, neither do people in Los yeah. Angeles, so don't don't feel bad. Seventy percent of the market can't that is, watch Dodger games. That is a, an absolute outrage. It's just really yeah. incredible. But I you, wanted you, to talk. You've to... seen more Dodger games in Baltimore <laughs> than uh, than a lot of fans in Hollywood. So if you're a Dodger fan, you got to move to Baltimore. That's the that's the lesson. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's All it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about the importance of a reclamation project out of the bullpen. Who you probably knew from your time when you did a few Mariner games, Brandon Morrow. Uh, he was nothing short of sensational. Uh, in less innings than he used to pitch, far less innings than he used to pitch as a starting pitcher? Well, the one thing about uh, the Dodgers, I don't think Rick Honeycutt, who is the pitching coach, gets enough credit. Uh, he has done a remarkable job uh, with with him, with a number of guys in the bullpen. Um, also, you know, he tweaked you uh, Darvish. You yeah. uh, Darvish, who um, you know when he came to the Dodgers was really kind of so-so, and it's only after like the last four games and uh, getting rid of that hitch, you know, at the top of his windup and that sort of thing, um, that you know he's really shaped you know some pitchers, and to me that's the great thing about certain pitching coaches. Dodgers had a guy named Red Adams who did sure. the same thing where, you know, you take a, a guy who is just sort of a journeyman like Jerry Royce and he turns him into a, um, a top line pitcher. And so I, again, a lot of credit to, to Rick Honeycutt in getting the best out of this pitching staff. We're talking with Ken Levine, former Orioles play-by-play voice. Of course, you know him from having written a lot of the MASH episodes, a lot of the Cheers episodes. He currently has a podcast that's available on iTunes called Hollywood and Levine. Uh, Take off on Hollywood and Vine, the streets out in Los Angeles. Um, One other big thing I noticed in watching the playoffs is that this Yasiel Puig guy, number 66, <laughs> he doesn't resemble the Yasiel Puig of the last couple years. I mean, this guy seems popular with his teammates. He seems all in emotionally and, uh, and passionate about baseball. And boy, when he is playing well, he is one heck of an exciting player, Ken. Yeah, Vince Scully called him the wild horse. Yeah. You know, when he is locked in, you know, when he is having fun and really concentrating, yeah, he is a, a joy to watch, and he is fun in the clubhouse, and he does keep things loose. Uh, he's worked a lot with Turner Ward, the hitting coach of the Dodgers, who's done a great job with him. You know, there are times when he just kind of checks out, and he'll do stupid things. Yep. Um, he'll go diving after pitches. And you can just see that in the playoffs, he is really locked in every pitch, every at-bat. He's thinking out there in right field. 
you know, you have to anticipate. Okay, if uh, the ball comes to me, uh, do I go to third? Do I go to second? You know, what do I do? Um, you know, you can't wait until you've made the catch to decide, nah, nah, I'll go to the cutoff man. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he has really been sort of locked in. He's also kind of a streaky hitter. So when he finally starts, you know, to, to come around, um, you know, he can really contribute to the team. Ken, um, so, so if we're looking ahead, you and I are taping this three hours, four hours before the Nats and the Cubs are going to play the deciding matchup, uh, the deciding game in their five-game series that will decide who will play the Dodgers. Do you think the Dodgers care one iota which team they play, or they're just feeling like they are ready for whomever comes their way? I think they're ready for whomever comes their way. Uh, I think if it's the Cubs, it might be a tad more uh, problematic because the Cubs have a lot more left-hand hitters, and one of the Dodgers' you know, mainstays in the bullpen, Luis Avalon, uh, has been nursing a sore shoulder. He wasn't activated for the division series, and they're waiting to see whether to activate him for the, the championship series. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, both teams are, are tough. Uh, the Dodgers faced both of those teams last year in the playoffs. Yep. And the five-game series with Washington, especially remember there was that final game that went extra innings, and, uh, you know, Kershaw had to pitch in relief. So I think by the time the Dodgers faced the Cubs, they kind of ran out of gas. I think it's a different situation this year. First of all, the Dodgers have home field advantage, and whoever wins that game, or whoever won that game, considering when this is going to be uh, aired, um, had to take a red eye to Los Angeles. And I'm sure Game 5, Whatever happened, I'm sure it was a hard-fought, emotional game for the winning team. Uh, you know, and the Dodgers are, you know, they've got their rotation lined up. They're rested. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think there are a number of advantages the Dodgers' way uh, as the as the season as the series starts. But you look, you know, you never can tell. Uh, you know, I think back. To 2008, and the Chicago Cubs had clearly the best team in the National League. Lou Pinello was their manager, and they faced the Dodgers in the National League Championship, uh, National League Division Series, and the Dodgers swept them, and then lost to Philadelphia. And then the next year, the Dodgers swept the Cardinals in the Division Series and lost to Philadelphia. So you know, just because you uh, sweep your division series doesn't necessarily yep. mean that that's going to carry on to the next playoff round. Ken, we've just got a couple more minutes. i got two lines of questioning. Number one is that streak where the Dodgers out of nowhere lost 15 out of 16 games. When I look back on it, when I was making my predictions before the, the playoff with the, the Diamondbacks, I said the Dodgers have had enough time to regain their confidence and I feel it was more a question 
that they were coasting when Arizona needed ball games, and that's why Arizona really was able to take them six in a row in the regular season, but really wasn't much of a matchup for them in the postseason. Yeah, uh, this is a Dodger team that's really, really determined. And the other thing to remember, Stan, is that the Dodgers have not been in a World Series since 1988. I mean, that's a long time. We're talking. I can't believe what you just said. I can't believe what you just said. That's like Jack Buck with the uh, Kirk Gibson. You know, and and the famous Kirk Gibson home run. From Game One of 1988, you know it's that's a a golden moment for Dodger fans. And it's but 30 it's years fading ago, fading into the yep. mist. Yep. Uh, last question I have for you. Actually, I'm lying. I got two quickies. One is people in Baltimore forget that as a throw-in in the trade where the Orioles sent Ramon Hernandez to the Cincinnati Reds for Ryan Friel. The Orioles, not the Dodgers and not the Mets, got a young infielder named Justin Turner. And we were told what a great steal this was by Andy McPhail. And somehow they designate him for assignment. The Mets pick him up. And he got his career established in New York. But what what the heck did the Dodgers see in this guy? And was there some magic in the water out there or a hitting coach? He's clearly one of the most valuable players in all of baseball now. Yeah, you know what? I think he was a a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Uh, he was a utility player wherever he played, and uh, and the Mets used him a little bit, um, you know, especially with David Wright always being hurt. But they still, at the end of the season, said, "Yeah, we really don't need you." And you know, the Dodgers picked him up as you know, well, okay, let's try this guy in uh, spring training, as, as teams will do. And uh, a number of injuries uh, resulted in his playing more, and he just, he just found a groove. And Justin Turner is absolutely one of the best hitters in baseball now. It's just so fun to watch. Yeah. He's from Southern California. Yep. So, uh, you know, he, he loves playing in L.A., uh, I think when he was a free agent, he you know he signed a pretty nice deal with the Dodgers, but he probably could have gotten more money elsewhere. Sure, but he wanted to stay a Dodger. We're talking with Ken Levine, and we're just going to finish up on one quick note, and that is 2017 marked the first season Dodger games haven't been broadcasted by Vince Scully since when? What? What was 1950 it? was when Vince Scully started. So 1949 was the last season. 1949 people was the yeah. last non Vince Scully year. What was yeah. that like out there in L.A.? And was it affected by the fact of what you said earlier that 70 percent of the people don't get the telecast anyway? So it was lessened somewhat. Well, it's huge. I mean, Vince Scully is absolutely God out here. Yeah. And, uh, and his retirement was, was crushing. And, uh, like you said, 70% of the market can't get Dodger games because they don't have <laughs> the particular cable, right. um, deal. And, um, so the only way to follow the Dodgers now is on the radio. And, uh, back in the days when Vince Scully was calling Dodger games, they used to in the, 60s and early 70s, they would only televise 
the nine games that the Dodgers played up in San Francisco. So for the rest of the time, you had to listen to the Dodgers mm. on the radio. Mm. And the Dodgers in those days were getting 40, 45 shares, shares a wow. night. Okay, Dodgers this year, yeah. and again, the only way that 70% of the market can follow this team, the Dodgers' share of radio is one. Wow. wow. One share. So, um, yeah, I would say that uh, the impact of Scully uh, no longer being there, yeah. that void has really been felt. Last question for you, and I promise it is, who do you like, uh, Dodgers versus either of these teams? I, I like the. I still like the Dodgers against either one of them. How are you feeling? Yeah, I sort of like the Dodgers against uh, Washington because I sort of think that somewhere along the line, Dusty Baker is going to make stupid pitching decisions. <laughs> you know that he's he's going to pull Scherzer. You know who's got a no hitter. He's going to pull him after eighty pitches or some stupid thing like that. So, uh, in, in that regard, uh, I, I like Washington. All right. You so you like the Dodgers against Washington, but yeah. But the what Cubs, I really love yeah. is the Yankee World Series. Yeah, that would be exciting again. Uh, it's Ken Levine. His podcast that's available on iTunes is Hollywood and Levine. You can listen to it by going to iTunes. We appreciate your joining us, Ken. Always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure, and go Orioles. I still follow you guys, and I still root for you guys. Take care. That does wrap up our interview with Ken Levine. We'll take a time out right now, and we'll be back with more of the Bat Around right after this. Well, we're not going to take a time out. We already did, but do want to thank Ken Levine, former voice of the Baltimore Orioles, as well as Chelsea James from the Washington Post, Josh Soroka from Section 336, and Greg Olson, a former Orioles reliever, for taking their time and joining us. As you can see that I'm by myself. Stan and Craig had to go out and do their own thing. They have their priorities, so I will close out the show today. I'm usually the guy behind the camera, but today I'll be on camera and on the mic. Two MLB games going on today. Game 2 of the ALCS between the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees from Minute Maid Park. That's at 4 o'clock, and you can watch that game on Fox, the network. Not Fox Sports 1, but on Fox. And it's going to be Luis Severino versus Justin Verlander. So you go from two relatively soft-throwing pitchers yesterday to two really hard-throwing pitchers. And, of course, we've seen the good and bad of Severino in this playoffs, only lasting a third of an inning in the wild card and then going seven innings in the series game four against the uh, Cleveland Indians. And we know what Justin Verlander can do ever since he came to Houston. He's been practically unhittable if you exclude his one relief appearance against Boston where he allowed the two-run homer to Benintendi. That game's at 4 o'clock. Astros 1-0 series lead. And we'll see if the Yankees can get that offense going. Despite good pitching from New York, starting pitching and bullpen, you know, Will Judge chase those pitches? Will Sanchez chase Castro? These young guys who get excited. You wonder if they'll be more patient at the plate and not chase those pitches outside the zone, which was a big problem yesterday against Keuchel and Giles. But you can't blame Keuchel and Giles. They just have such good pitches that are in the strike zone 95% of the way down, and then it just breaks down below the zone, and it forces everyone to chase. The other game going on today 
the NLCS, the Cubs versus the Dodgers from Dodger Stadium. That's at 8 o'clock on TBS. Clayton Kershaw starting that game for the Dodgers. And reports say that Jose Quintana is going to start for the Cubs. Jose, yesterday in game, or two days ago in game five, he threw for two-thirds of an inning in relief, which was the last thing that Joe Madden probably wanted. We'll see how exhausted this Cubs team is, especially in the bullpen, facing the Dodgers, who've shown that they're kind of back to their ways in the first half of the season after people questioned their struggles in the last month and a half of the regular season, especially in September. And we'll see how Kershaw can do because he allowed four solo home runs against the Diamondbacks in Game 1 of the NLDS. So that's at 8 o'clock on TBS. Again, want to thank Chelsea Janes, Josh Soroka, Greg Olson, and Ken Levine. Thanks to Stan and Craig for doing what they do best every single Saturday. Tomorrow, you got the Fantasy Reality Football Show with Ken Zalas, Sarita Hubbard, the NFL chick, and Kyle Ottenheimer. And, of course, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12, you got Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer's The Glenn Clark Show right here on PressBox. You can watch those on Facebook at press on facebook.com slash pressboxsports, or you can listen to it on pressbox on excuse me, pressboxonline.com slash radio. Now I see why Stan has a hard time trying to remember these links. Also keep an eye out on pressboxonline.com slash radio. We will have the interviews with Chelsea Janes and Greg Olson. Just go to pressboxonline.com slash radio, look for the bat around, click on it, and you scroll down the page, you'll see the archives with all the past episodes and interview clips on the Bat Around Show. So on behalf of Stan the Fan and Craig Heiss, I'm Bonzatufa saying thank you everyone for watching, and as always, we will see you next Saturday. <laughs>